Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the Founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education. And our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. All right. So I was saying uh, offline, Neil, I interviewed you over 10 years ago, which is absolutely crazy. Um, and it was your magazine cover that was responsible for the, for the lawsuit because we had, <laughs> we had, your, we had your, your face and head blocking, blocking the key too. And then Success Magazine sued us, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you changed it now to founder, right? You've been founder for a while now. <laughs> yep, yep. So hopefully it all worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks for coming on, man. Really excited to speak with you. Uh, the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? How did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Yeah, so uh, I, I got to where I am today because years and years ago, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I set it up a website. It was a job board and no one came to it. So I had to learn marketing and how to get people to the site. And that's how it all started. Yeah. And your big focus now is Neil Patel Digital, right? Like that is that is your main, like, yeah. It, it is. That agency is my main focus by far. 
Yeah. And I, man, I remember you talking talk to me like five, six years ago, being like, man, I'm getting out of the software game. I'm going to build a massive agency. It's where it's at. And that's what you did. Like, how big is the agency now? We're, we're a decent size. Maybe we're getting close to 800 employees ish. Um, so, so we, we've grown quite a bit and we're five years old. So, not a bad size. Yeah. That's crazy. And I guess, you still drive all that traffic pretty much from your age, like to your agency. All the leads just comes from your personal brand, right? From your skills with digital marketing, SEO mainly, right? Not anymore. It used to be that way. So we started the agency purely based off the leads I was getting from my blog and personal brand. And now I don't know the exact percentage. I know it's more than 70% and I know it's less than 80%. So somewhere between 70 and 80% of our leads come from RFPs, employee referrals, and client referrals. So when you combine those three things, it's somewhere between 70 and 80%. Yeah, got you. And in the past decade, you've really focused on encouraging founders to focus on growth, but now it's profitability. Can you talk to us about that and how they can make that shift? Yeah, so I think growth is still important and you need growth but you can't have growth at all costs. What's the point of having a business? Like, yeah, we went from a hundred million to 300 million to now a billion. Well, you also took your losses from 10 million a year to now negative 40 million a year to now negative 300 million a year. Like if your losses just keep climbing and you can't actually generate revenue and growth at in a profitable way, there's no point in the long run. Yeah. So how can founders start to make that shift? What's like, is that, is that a challenge that you went through? No, not really. Uh, all my businesses, we focus on profitability. Some of them, we focus on profitability too early. So I had the opposite problem in which I focus on profitability before growth. And it should have been where I spent more money on growth and less profitability. Uh, as a founder, it's not really a, a, you need to make a shift. You need to just think long-term. And it starts with your analytics. So things like the lifetime value of your customer, the cost to acquire a customer. And as long as your metrics are profitable at a level that you're okay with, then by all means, spend as much. And that could mean that you lose money in the short run, but if your lifetime value is high and you know after year two, you know, it's all profit and a customer stays for five years, you still have a lot of profit to make off that customer. You just have to be patient. And so when it comes to kind of what's working now, when it comes to digital marketing growth, you know, you, you're, you're one of the OGs when it comes to content marketing Really, you've been building a personal brand for a long time. Like, man, I remember when you were interested and you, you and I kind of connected even on the Instagram stuff and then you had a personal brand on Instagram. Do you still have that? Like, So you've been doing this stuff for a long time. What do you find is working now to drive traffic to your site? If you were to start a business tomorrow, perhaps an e-commerce business, I know you're not really into e-com, but if you were... How would you drive traffic to that site? Well, how would you go about it? I would do it very differently than most people. I don't think about AI or content, you know, as ways to hack marketing for e-commerce. And I look at marketing as very expensive. You know, you've been doing this for a while. Marketing seven, eight, ten years ago was much cheaper than it is now. The cost of products that you're buying in many cases are not double than what people used to pay 10 years ago. People are still price sensitive. What we found is it's actually cheaper in most cases to give away something for free. So let's take Gillette, for example. It's Instead of spending all the money on marketing, give away the razor for free and sell them the blades. Because people keep shaving, the blades go bad. Give them the razor for free 
or not the, uh, the yeah, give the razor for free, sell them the blades. So like the handle, the part you hold, you give that for free, you sell them the blades, keep making money. Another example is there was a company called Aura Brush. Aura Brush was a tongue cleaner. Free tongue cleaner, you pay for shipping, they upsell you on everything else. Uh, mouthwash, toothpaste, etc., floss, whatever you want to call it. And the company ended up eventually getting acquired. I do think the better strategy is what can you give away and lose money on and make money on selling them everything else, right? So find something that's cheap and affordable, give it away for free, make your money selling them bigger products. I think that's a better solution to e-commerce than it is to uh, spend a ton of money on marketing. I own a marketing agency. You know, I help people manage their ads, their SEO, their email marketing, their conversions, et cetera. It doesn't matter for all industries, including e-commerce, even D2C, even marketplace stuff like helping companies optimize with their Amazon listings or Walmart, et cetera. And companies should do marketing, especially if it's profitable. Why wouldn't you? But what I think is a better long-term fit is you figure out what product to give away for free. It just gets the flywheel going so much faster. Yeah, no, that's an interesting concept because... Look, in the, I guess, the online education info space, that's what's called like a, a self-liquidating offer in many ways, right? You give some sort of tripwire or something away. Um, I, I think probably Vistaprint was the first to do it in a really like impressive way, right? Free business cards, X amount for free. Want more? pay for uh, additional cards. It was a smart idea. Yeah, and then it's the optional upgrades and all that kind of stuff along the way. Thing is though, like Shopify doesn't really have the capability natively to do these post-purchase one-click upsells. You've got to use all these different tools, but you can still do it. Yeah, yeah, you you can still do it, but I, I think if you're in e-commerce and you can't figure out something you give away for free, you're missing out on a big opportunity. Yeah, I agree. So it's interesting take. So what else should what else should e-com founders be thinking about? Let's say you've got a good funnel. How else? How like how then then do you you know start to ramp it up with ads? Start to you know apply SEO content marketing. You don't really see it's not really that common for e-commerce businesses to be incredible at content marketing, right? No, but you can, like you're selling toasters, 10 best toaster ovens, create recipes and show them how to do it within your toaster. Like you can generate sales in many different ways. I think content, SEO, social media, um, instructional videos on like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube do really well and even Facebook. There's there's tons of opportunities. What you have to get at in the e-commerce world is how can you end up getting the average order size large enough where marketing makes sense. So to make e-commerce work from a marketing angle, you either have to have A, people coming back and continually buying from you, which is hard. B, which is easier, is to have upsells and downsells to increase your average uh, order value. Yeah, gotcha. And when it comes to SEO, like you're one of the OGs, you're very, very good at it. You've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, and the introduction to AI and that whole space, how are you using AI now when it comes to SEO? So the way I'm using AI when it comes to SEO is how can AI help you analyze your analytics and data? So most people use AI for SEO for things like keyword research, uh, helping write content. And it's not bad for keyword research. It's not bad for helping content, but you still need a human to modify it to make it better. 
the way I'm really using AI though is analytics. So imagine you have a lot of your marketing in different places. Um, in SEO, you have data in Google Analytics, Google Search Console. Imagine using AI to slice and dice your data to give you more informed decisions. So then that way you can adjust your marketing to be more profitable. Because in SEO, people optimize for traffic instead of conversions, or they optimize for creating new content versus just updating their old content. Like if you look at Wikipedia, the reason Wikipedia ranks for everything is because they keep updating their old pieces of content. It's not about just always writing new pieces of content. You can use AI to write your old piece of content that are slowly starting to lose traffic and rankings uh, to get them to climb back up. And it's things like that that people aren't using AI for, but instead they look at AI as like, oh, cool, write me 500 blog posts. Well, they suck, so uh, you know, no one's going to read them. But you can have them modify blog posts and, or have them write blog posts and have a human modify them. Mm -hmm. So is it ChatGPT? Like what, what are the tools that you're using? People are using ChatGPT. We use Bard a lot. Uh, we find Bard to be better than ChatGPT. Yeah, gotcha. And I guess uh, when it comes to AI, you know, one thing you taught me as well when it comes to, I guess, SEO and content is is it's it's about volume as well. It's like quality content at volume. Since the introduction of AI really taking off, do you do you, do you really scale up production now when it comes to content or or is it has yeah. has that volume changed or it hasn't really changed but yeah you can scale it up if you haven't we've been scaled up pre-ai so for us there's not really much of a difference yeah got you most people look at ai as you can just it can do the work for you but it really can't it's not there yet ai is a helper it's not something that can just solve all your problems. That it's, it's no magic pill. Yeah. So it's really like a, a co-pilot, right? Like you're, and yeah, it's a co-pilot to help you move faster and it gets you to maybe 70%. Yeah. And in some industries, it's getting you a little bit more. Some industries, it's getting you a little bit less, but it can help you with at least 30 to 50% of the job, no problem. And do you think when it comes to creating content with, with AI, like SEO is going to catch up. Google can already detect that. How, how do you see things working out there? Do you think it forever people will use AI to crank out content and then just edit it? Or how do you see that going? Uh, I, I think people, there's going to be a shift in which people are going to start creating content manually. Um, again, they already are right now, but I think they're going to start going, not everyone, but I think a large group of people are going to start going to manual. It may not be the majority, uh, and the reason being is we've done so many tests. You just generate way more traffic when it's manually created. The ROI is better. Really? Yeah. But you would still use, you would still use like BARD to get it to like a certain percentage or you like to create it manually from scratch? You can do either or. Uh, we tend to use AI to get you there 20, 30, 40% and then the rest is manual. Yeah, got you. And this is for neilpatel.com or? Yeah. This is for neilpatel.com. Yeah, got you. So what's the traffic like these days? Uh, believe it or not, I haven't checked. I haven't logged into my Google Analytics to check my own traffic stats for probably 120 days. No joke. You know what, man? I've asked you that before. And, and like, I think offline and you're like, man, I don't know. Or, or you haven't looked at it in a while. But yeah, obviously like a few million monthly, like five, five million plus monthly unique visitors around that ballpark, right? Or... Uh, it has to be somewhere around there. But yeah, we get millions and millions. The reason I don't check as much, I used to check much more is, no joke, forget how many clients we get. Because there's two ways to look at it. You get revenue based. On, when I say we get 70 to 80% of our clients from RFPs, client referrals, 
uh, or employee referrals. When you want to look at majority of the revenue, forget logos, the majority of our revenue is coming from things like RFPs, right? Requests for proposals where really large corporations send out, you know, proposals and they want companies to bid on them. So it's like we optimize for that. We're not really optimizing for traffic. We're optimizing more for revenue. Yeah, yeah gotcha. So how else are you using AI in your business? We're mainly using it in data and analytics. So you do Facebook ads, you do Instagram ads, you do TikTok ads, you do Google ads, you do media buys, email marketing, and the list goes on and on. The data is everywhere. You can use like Google Data Studio or Tableau or whatever you want to end up using to start pulling the data into one place. And then we have AI analyze the analytics and the data and come up with insights and push it to our team on a daily basis. It doesn't actually go and make changes to the campaigns. It just gives them insights. Where's there's wastage? What's performing the best? What could be tweaked? What's been going on that's been declining? What's been going on that's been increasing? So that way our team knows, hey, this is what the data is telling us. These are some things we should look at to see if we can uh, improve the marketing areas or cut back on spend and reallocate. That's been really, really helpful. Something that a lot of people don't talk about. It's not as sexy, but if you just look at the numbers, over $160 billion USD is being spent on Google ads roughly every single year. Facebook ads are over $100 billion. The real money in AI isn't saying like, hey, it'll write more blog posts for me. The real money in the AI is like, help me save on some of that ad spend and be more efficient. Mm, that's interesting. And you're using BARD. Mm -hmm. BARD and ChatGPT. Yeah, okay. And what do you think some of the main challenges businesses are facing when it comes to implementing AI in their business? Um, some of the main challenges that businesses are facing when they're implementing AI I would actually say the big thing is that they don't know where to start and it's tough. There's tons of tools, there's tons of options and people don't know what to do with it. And they read about these magic pills and AI is not a magic pill, at least in its current form. Yeah. Yeah. And what, and you, you think the best place people should start is using it to analyze data, not to create content. For, for marketing. Yes. The other thing I would say is I think companies need to have a culture of being okay with AI and having their team members uh, experiment with AI in ways that are safe, like not uploading all customer data or private data you know, to the web. Uh, and then the next thing they need to do is have like weekly meetings, like could be 15 minutes and 30 minutes and people sharing like what's something cool that they did with AI that helped their job and share it with other people in the organization and show them how they did it step-by-step. Step. So then that way more people have this culture of, hey, we should use AI and we can get better at it. And what about chatbots? Like that's that's coming, you know, you, you guys have an outbound sales team, right? Like do you, have you guys started to play around with using AI to do sales, customer service, client, uh, you know, not client facing, but say like customer driven facing stuff yet? Not a ton, but keep in mind we're enterprise. So like, we're not trying to pitch a business on a hundred grand. We're trying to pitch someone ideally on millions of dollars. So it's just like, you usually aren't using AI for those kind of interactions. Yeah. Gotcha. At least in this time in life, uh, we have tested stuff. Like we have an AI bot that sounds just like me. It's a little bit slower on its speed of talking, but it sounds just like me, at least for English. And, um, we're working on like creating chatbots with it, engaging with companies and customers. We just haven't released it yet. 
it's technically not something we would release to the public. It's more so we would release and use it for ourselves. Interesting. So how you are you guys building that custom or you're using a tool or something or good question i don't know the answer to that but my team showed it to me once you have a, a, a you know a good amount of people working for you we're still small but let's say if you get to around 800 people there's a point where it's just like you know people are working on stuff that you don't even know about you also don't know everyone in the organization at that point there's just too many people i wish i knew everyone it's just it's too hard to get to know every single person yeah yeah no, that's fair enough but so you guys are playing around with chatbots and training it to answer questions as you, but it'd be more of an internal thing or a customer facing thing. Correct. In my voice, not like a text-based response, like actual voice and video. Yeah, that's crazy. And then you would use that maybe to, to create content? To A, create content, B, to deepen relationships with potential customers. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. You know, what you were saying about having 800 employees when you get to that stage, this is what happens. I'm, I actually remember a conversation that you and I had a long time ago and it was early days for me founder and he said to me, Nathan, you know, when you get to a certain point as a founder, you you have enough money where you don't do the hard yards. Like you just don't do the grinding stuff. And you know, you've either got money or you've got time. And you're like, Nathan, you've obviously got time. I don't have that. So I get other people to do it. And yeah, I remember you talking to me about that. Like how have things changed in terms of leverage for you? I remember you said that back in the day, like, you know, you do you don't rate the operations, still don't. Like what what does things look like now? Yeah. I, I deal with clients I, and that's because I love it. Um, but I am strapped for time more than ever. And I use capital to buy my to buy more time. Uh, and I try to spend that time on the business when I can and when I have extra time. Uh, and I make sure I carve out enough of this time. I spend it with kids, wife, family. Uh, but it is the most important aspect for me. And, you know, it's like people take time for granted and it's just, it's precious. Like, what am I going to do? Die with money? You know, it's just like, I, I rather have the memories of my family or children are running around the block chasing my kids in the little bicycles. I try to do that with them at least once a week. Like that kind of stuff to me matters more than, you know, just making an extra dollar. Mm. Well, you're at a different phase of your life now. Yeah. The kids changed a lot for me perspective-wise. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have a lot of different goals. Like I used to care about like homes and 
what kind of homes I lived in or what, what I had and what people thought perception wise. Now I don't really care about anything. I just hope my kids love me and will give me the time of the day once I get old and they get older. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. So, um, when it comes to, I guess, AI, the e-commerce space in the next five years, where do you see AI going? What are you excited about? Um, what we're, what I'm really excited about, and I love saying this is if you look at right now in the short run, most people overestimate AI. They believe it can do everything for them. It's a magic pill and it's not. And once they start really experimenting and trying, they, they realize that quite quickly. In the long run though, I believe people are underestimating AI and it can do much more than they'll ever imagine. I think you're going to have a scenario like iRobot the movie, not where robots are taking over the world and trying to kill humans or anything. I'm more so talking about you'll have a robot assistant that's there next to you, understanding your life and helping you with everything. And I think the possibilities are endless. I just think it'll take a long time. And when I mean long time, I'm talking about like, five to 10 years. Mm. It's still like not that long. It's not that long in the grand scheme of things, but technology moves so fast these days, right? It's, it's not as slow as it once used to. Mm. And how do you keep up, right? That's that's the tricky part. Like how do you keep up? Is, is it you talking to friends or like what what is it? I don't, I, don't, I don't think most people will ever always be able to keep up. So I'll give you a prime example. I can keep up with marketing, but because I spend so much time on that, but can I keep up with everything in this world? No, there's just too much going on. I'm not as smart as Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever it may be. So for me and most people, I recommend for them to keep up with their industries and focus on whatever makes sense for them. And then I would say that for the rest of the people out there, um, you know, like, for, for majority of people, keep up with whatever's in your industry, but be okay with not doing everything perfect or not knowing everything. Yeah. It's not the answer that people want to hear, but it's the realistic one, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, it's so easy to get distracted by shiny object syndrome. And I'm sure you've been there, right? Like, because you're always on the, like, you've always been kind of a forward thinker on the cutting edge and, like, you know, people look to you for, you know, what's next, how are you doing this, how are you doing that? It's, it's interesting to hear that from you. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of stuff, right? Like I was talking to people, I wrote a blog post about this and like how to rank on ChatGPT. And we're noticing things like brand mentions and keywords. And I get ChatGPT's index is old. It's 2021, September. Mm. And you can try to make a lot of these changes and ChatGPT4 supposedly, from what I recall, is still September 2021. But eventually there'll be ChatGPT 5 and 7 and 10 and it'll eventually become real time. And yes, it's not necessarily like SEO, but you can start influencing what the models recommend in the future. Not now, but in the future. And if you don't do it now, then eventually you're not going to get recommended. Because according to SimilarWeb, ChatGPT has 1.4 billion visits. I don't know how many unique users, but 1.4 billion visits. A portion of those should be, will end up learning about your business and you'll end up getting more sales for your e-commerce products. Mm, that's crazy. So, you know, when, when I met you, what, 10 years ago, it was a much different landscape when it came to starting a business, growing a business, right? And I think with 
with the tools that are at our disposal, like in the software that's at our disposal, it's easier than ever now to start a business. I think it's harder than ever to grow a business, would you say? I agree with that. I think it's really easy to set up a business with a few clicks. Even the complex businesses, you can start up pretty quickly. It's harder to get traction. Not because you can't run Google ads, anyone can, but everyone is running Google ads. Everyone is running Facebook ads. Everyone's on social media. It just, it's, it's very competitive. Markets are really saturated. A lot of them are. So you got to have key differentiators. That's why I said early on in the interview, what's one thing you would do? I'd be like, give away stuff for free, right? Because that is an easy differentiator. And a lot of people are price sensitive, especially in e-commerce. It's a great way to just grow faster. Mm. Yeah. And look, that's been a premise of giving away your best stuff for free that you've used for a long time now, right? As a marketer, like through, throughout, like there's a, there's a common thread there. And I've always believed in the model of just give away a lot for free. I, I believe that's how you grow the fastest. Yeah. Because that's what you did with Uber Suggest, right? Did it with Uber Suggest, did it with Answer the Public, uh, did it with the blog, do it with videos and content. And I tried to Yes, you still need to charge for something, but how do you charge for something that's going to make up for all the free stuff plus more? Yeah. So did you buy Answer the Public? Uh-huh. What are we in? I bought it, I think, in February 2022. Gotcha. Is that is that big? It wasn't that big. When we bought it, they said it was doing around 100 grand a month in profits, so 1.2 million. We bought it for 8.6. Um but it had no employees or anything, which is not realistic. So it wasn't doing a hundred grand really in, in, in profit. It was doing around in revenue, like around 130-ish thousand dollars a month in revenue. And they were saying their only costs were servers. I'm like, there's, there's no way. This, it's not a fully burdened business. Uh, we knew there was going to be many more expenses added to it. So what did you do with that? Like, like, why did you buy that? That's an interesting one to buy. What did you do with it? Where did you see the opportunity? Lead gen. They didn't do any lead gen for agency stuff. So that's huge for us. Yeah. B, under monetize. We were able to more than double the business, not overnight, but like with really very little work. Yeah. Gotcha. And it didn't stop there. We were able to grow up much more than double. It was one of my best acquisitions for return on investment. Oh, interesting. Yeah, first, first, I did, man, I didn't know, I had no idea about that one. Um, but look, I remember Uber Suggest, I remember you bought that, well, not for that much, and then you made it free and you just gave it away. And I remember you said to me, this is a while ago again, you said, man, like software is becoming commoditized. That's why you're going into the agency space. Do you think, do you think when you told me that a few years ago, that is, is truer than ever? Or yes, yeah. I think software is becoming really commoditized. Everyone's creating it. Everyone's having, you know, similar me too type of products, and it's hard to stand out. Mm. Yeah, dude. Just look at the design space, right? Canva was really going after Adobe really hard, right? Everyone, and you're in Australia, so you know this. Yeah. Now, who's really talking about Canva these days? Yeah, you have Adobe Sensei and Firefly and there's all these AI tools that are doing crazier stuff than Canva's doing. They're like, oh, cool. We can, we don't even have to use the tools. We can just type something in a box and it'll give us everything we need. Mm. Yeah, but man, Canva's a beast. Like that ain't going anywhere. No, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's a massive business that's still growing from my understanding. Yeah. I do think their valuation is a little bit too rich. 
right? Because uh, if you look at publicly traded comps with growth numbers and what they're worth, I have a different perspective than most, but I think most private valuations for a lot of these quote unquote unicorns are overvalued. And I think they have for a long time. Just look what happens when a lot of them go public. They're getting, dem you know, demolished. It doesn't matter if you have Sequoia as a backer. Yeah. Because a lot of these businesses had growth at all costs. And now they have growth at some cost or no cost uh, and being profitable. And Canva is probably profitable is my guess. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're selling furniture or software. A business is a multiple of profit. It's that simple in the long run, right? Not the short run, long run. If you look at Apple, Microsoft, Google, people only care about how much profit you're generating and what's a multiple on that. And there's a certain point in time where these businesses have to end up generating profit. And if they don't, the markets just crush them. Yeah. And, and in the next few years, it could end up turning around where people want growth at all costs. But eventually cycles come around and then people are like, well, where's the profit? Once you get old enough and big enough, people want profit. And if you don't have it, you're really worth so much. But that's the VC game, man. Yeah, it's a game. And they're great at timing it. And, you know, even when the stocks go down and they get into the Series A, a lot of them still made enough money where they don't care. Um, and me as an entrepreneur who tends to bootstrap, I look at business very differently. I look at it as what's my EBITDA, what's my growth, and how can I keep scaling up? Like I got back from Mexico recently. I was like, cool. I met up with a handful of businesses trying to figure out which ones we can just buy and scale up faster. I met up with quite a few of them that have between 100 and 200 employees that have scale in just Mexico as a region. They were like, all right, cool, we can buy. We're doing the same thing in Germany right now. We're doing the same thing in France. We're, uh, you know, we're in a LOI right now to buy an agency in Canada. We're looking at one in the UK right now that we may get close to LOI on. But, you know, it's just like, it's just easier for me to buy on a multiple of EBITDA, especially if I know I can grow. Yeah, 100%. All right, awesome. Well, look, we have to work towards wrapping up, man. I could uh, talk shop with you all day, but in the spirit, in the spirit of uh, this summit... Um, what parting words of wisdom would you share to e-com founders, uh, the early stage in their business, you know, either just launched something recently found product market fit. They're also interested in AI, how they can use it to get ahead. Sell someone something or give something away for free or cheap when you know you can sell something much bigger, right? So Vistaprint, you give away free business cards and they sell you on all these upsells and more cards and they knew they would make money from that because it doesn't cost much to make business cards. Giving away free, you know, a tongue cleaner isn't that expensive when someone's paying for shipping and you can sell them all the other things. But for e-commerce to work really well, whether using AI or SEO or writing your emails manually, the one thing you need to do is have a really tight funnel with good upsells and downsells. It's like the McDonald's approach. Would you like fries with that? Would you like to supersize that? Would you want to drink with that? Do you want to convert that into a happy meal, right? You want cheese on your burger. If you don't have a good funnel and you can't increase the average order value, marketing is really tough in e-commerce. That's why you need a really good funnel. Without that, it makes it really hard to win in the long run. Boom. We'll have it, man. And uh, lastly, where's the best place people can find you or your work yeah np digital for my ad agency and neilpatel.com awesome well thank you so much brother yeah thanks for having me hey guys i hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know our mission at founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content 
either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.